0: Titus, I'm
1: bored.
0: What plaything can
1: you offer me today? This is Junk Food Cinema.
0: emperors, and barons to another episode of Junk Food Cinema, the podcast that will save every one of you. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined, as per usual, by my friend and co-host. He is a novelist. He's a screenwriter. He's a lieutenant of Megaforce. He is one of the mighty Hawkman, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi. How's it going?
1: It's going all right. We're, uh, we're wrapping up. Cargill Vember.
0: Cargill Vember, it was a Cargill Vember to remember if I do say so myself. It certainly was.
1: And uh and of course we're wrapping it up with the one that I keep talking about us eventually talking about that we've not talked about because we were kind of convinced we already talked about it. It's
0: so weird that we both have and have not talked about this movie on the so it's it's the only movie we've talked about twice kind of but not really.
1: And the thing is, is it is one of my absolute favorite movies. Uh, I have the poster up in my office. It's one of those movies that when I'm having a shit day, it's my go-to. It's like, let me pop this in. There's no way that by the time the credits roll on this, uh, I will not be in a great mood. It's one of the only movies I watch all the way through the fucking credits because, <laughs> God damn it, the credits uh, for this movie. Of course, we're talking about
0: Flash fucking Gordon. Yeah, get buckle up, because you're going to hear probably the entire soundtrack dropped into the episode by the time it's done, because holy fucking shit, this soundtrack. Because why the fuck not?
1: I, every, the thing is, is this is a universally satisfying movie. It is a film that, by all accounts, when it came out, was considered a failure. It was a troubled production. It was bonkers. It was apeshit. Uh, and then it found its place in cinema history, uh, to become truly beloved. There are a lot of films that film fans argue about uh, throughout the annals of history where people will say, oh, I don't think that movie's as good. You know, we just heard it with Blade Runner where, you know, it's like, oh, hey, they're making a Blade Runner sequel and everyone's like, you know, I've never been the biggest fan of Blade Runner. What the fuck are you talking about? I not a You know, and we heard that. You know what you never fucking hear? I don't really like Flash Gordon. And if... If one of you out there is like, you know what, I'm that guy, go fuck yourself. Find another episode. This is the wrong place for you because Flash Gordon
0: is the fucking shit. Go tangle with the tree beast. We will have none of you here.
1: But before we get into that,
0: yeah, we're, uh, we kind of cruised right past all the housekeeping. We are flying blind on a rocket cycle right now. I just veered us right back to Arborea. (laughs) Um,
1: And we're going to, we're going to have a talk uh, uh, about the housekeeping. So housekeeping,
0: Brian. Housekeeping. Housekeeping down on the farm. You can follow us on Twitter at at Junk Food Cinema and like the podcast on Facebook, Facebook.com slash junk Food Cinema. Uh, if you really like the show, I highly recommend it when you go to iTunes, leave us a review, give us a five-star rating that really helps us move up the list, helps more people hear us. And if you just like really like the show, if it is to you what uh what destroying planets is to Ming, it just brings you that much joy please consider financially supporting the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Junk Food Cinema uh, is the place where you can go and for as little as a dollar an episode, you get access to bonus content that nobody else gets to hear. And if you pledge at the higher, the $5 per episode level and higher, you get even more content that even less people get to hear. And and starting this week of all yeah. things, we are kicking off
1: the deep dish. The deep dish. We are where this is kind of what one of the things we really want to do with this podcast but found out that very small niche amount of you really wanted is to talk about these oddball, super fucking hard to find movies that you're going to have to scour the interwebs or hop on Amazon or eBay and track down, you know, 10 year old DVDs of, and we're kicking that off this week. With a film that I like to call Russian Conan. Russian Conan, ladies and gentlemen. So So if you are interested in hearing an extra episode of us this month, jump on over to Patreon and get a full-length episode of us talking about a wonderful batshit crazy movie you probably
0: have never heard of. Maybe literally batshit. You don't know. You won't know unless you listen to The Deep Dish. And uh, by the way, if you want to hear more episodes of our back catalog, maybe even find the episode in the long, long ago, the before time when we kind of talked about Flash Gordon, you can always check out our back catalog on iTunes as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Um, Let's, you know, let's go into a small little history of that. Like, why do we keep talking about this past
1: episode? And do you need to listen to it? Essentially, back when we were first starting this thing, we didn't know what this
0: thing was going to become. Like, this we is a just, story all about how our podcast got flipped and turned upside down.
1: Yeah, no, we literally, I mean, as we've talked about several times, long-time listeners have heard this, new listeners have not, so I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> this whole podcast started right here on these very couches where we record, where me and Brian were kicking back, drinking beers, and I was lamenting how I was missing being a film critic sometimes. But, you know, once you're creative uh, there are certain kind of rules and expectations that prevent you from being the kind of critic that I was for a decade. But I wanted to talk about movies, and specifically, I wanted to talk about stuff that I loved and pimp it out to other film lovers who may not have heard of it, or may not have experienced it, or want to revisit it. and uh, And we talked about a couple films, and though that was the opening slate of junk food cinema, and so what. We went from there was, well, what do we do now? And Brian (laughs) was like, hey, I've got an experiment. Let's do a what if episode and talk about what if George Lucas had actually done what he wanted to do and gotten the rights to make Flash Gordon. Uh, And of course, Star Wars would have never happened because Star Wars was him uh, saying, fuck you. I'll make my own Flash Gordon. And boy, how did he? Uh, And. So we talk about that and then we talk about what George Lucas's Flash Gordon might have been like. So once you're done with this episode, if you need even more Flash Gordon, go back to the early days of Junk Food Cinema where we were in a we were sweating our asses off in a balls hot office that we were borrowing from a friend. uh, And uh, uh, and check it out because it's nothing like this episode.
0: (laughs) That's that's I'm not sure where you're setting the expectation level by saying that. It's not wrong, but it's like don't worry or maybe rejoice that it's nothing like this episode. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh yeah, we talked about kind of the alternate I believe we called it Days of Future Flash. So if you go back and search for it, you will find it. But on this episode, we are actually get this going on this Flash Gordon episode, we're gonna talk about Flash Gordon. I know we're breaking all the rules going way out on a limb, but that's what we're going to do this time around. And I'm so excited that we're doing it because Flash Gordon is everything that this podcast is.
1: It really is. Like it is, it was a failure and a flop and yet it has become uh, this wonderful film with a long life that won't go away. In fact, there's a documentary coming out later this year, early next year. Oh really? uh, About, uh, Sam Jones and his experiences on Flash Gordon and then after Flash Gordon. Because as we'll get into, there were some issues in this production. No. I mean, on a Dilo, Dino DeLaurentis production, the deuce you say. I'm shocked, shocked to find that there is shenanigans in this establishment. <laughs> but so all of these things ended up leading to a really magical film like there's stuff in this movie that wasn't supposed to happen there's stuff that got cut there's stuff that just you know um just didn't go as go to plan and the result is a movie every moment of which I love like there is not a moment of this movie that doesn't put a smile on my face it is lean oh my god is it lean um it is fun it just moves like a fucking rocket on rails uh and part of the movie that's literally what's happening that's literally what's happening it just it just is and it and it works it is one of those rare things that should not work and did not work, except that it did and became
0: a wonderful film once it found its audience. Uh, and so let's let's get into it. I think what we should do is, is take the listener by the hand and literally Mary Poppins style jump into the Technicolor painting that is Flash Gordon. Because one of the things we're going to hit upon the most, apart from how this movie sounds, because thank you very much, Queen is how this movie looks. Well, it- let's you know what we keep coming back to it. So let's let let's just address the
1: elephant in the room. Uh, the soundtrack is by motherfucking Queen. One of, yeah. one of two great genre movies that we will eventually cover, because we've been putting that one off, too, and we need to do Highlander as well, uh, that Queen went and scored. Yeah. Uh, now, back in the 90s, there's an excised scene of Pulp Fiction that became like really popular on the hipster set. Like For hipster film fans, if you bought the script for Pulp Fiction, if you watched the deleted scenes uh, on the special edition VHS... Uh, I did not stutter on the special edition VHS that had two deleted scenes after the movie. Uh there is a scene in which there's an interview uh uh between uh Vincent Vega and um Jules Winfield. No, no. Um uh Eric Stolz? Mia Wallace. Okay. And so she's grilling him, trying to figure out what kind of guy he is. And there are various questions that she asks. Is this
0: the camera scene? Yes. Okay.
1: This is the camera scene. And one of those questions became very popular on the scene at the time. Are you a Beatles man or are you an Elvis man? And for me, my answer was always, fuck you. I'm a queen man. Because God damn it. You put me down as greatest band in history. I'm all queen. Uh, I listen to Queen constantly. It's it's my jam. Uh, so uh, greatest rock frontman of all time, and for me, there is no argument. Well, and and if we want to get specific here, they are they are the only band in history in which every member of the band um, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for having written hit songs because each of them have written at least three hit songs. Yeah, uh, every Remarkable. member of the band, like you talk about the Beatles, Beatles one of the most influential bands in history um how they got that far with that drummer i don't know
0: hey, he wrote a song about an octopus that
1: everybody <laughs> has heard yes yes he did um but no this i mean this is one of the most accomplished talented brilliant bands in history um uh and and uh, as most people don't realize you know led by an indian uh, of all things, um, like it's like one of the greatest rock stars of all time is an Indian man. And and nobody ever really addresses that, that, uh, hey, India gave us probably the greatest vocalist of all time. Thank you, India. With, with a range uh, like a goddamn angel. Oh, like, my I don't know God. How he does it, by the way. Uh, there is a house rule here in Austin for karaoke. No single person no. is ever allowed to sing Queen. No you Queen. Just, in, our, in our groups, there's now you can do Queen as a group where everybody
0: sings along and it's okay to be awful. No one person is allowed to touch Freddie Mercury. Which, when new people come in and they hear us saying that, they, they assume that we don't like Queen. No, oh. we love Queen to the point that we refuse to let you disrespect it by thinking... Having the audacity to assume that you have the same vocal range as the angel put on Earth, Freddie Mercury. Yes. So, uh,
1: yes. Uh, And uh,
0: don't stop me now. A lot of
1: fun. You aren't nailing it as much as you think you are. So anyhow, so... Them doing the soundtrack is kind of fucking amazing. Uh, The one disagreement me and my wife really had during the wedding was I really wanted the queen. God damn (laughs) it. Wedding March
0: played at my wedding and she said no. Let me read you this note that I've made right here on my notes, (laughs) which says I'm getting married in January and I desperately want the queen version of Here Comes the Bride to play. So I probably will lose that argument, too. But I'm going to I'm going to make that argument. Uh, you make the argument, you know, win the fight that I did not win,
1: my friend. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did. I, I I did get, you know, the cantina play uh, song played by the band while everybody was getting cocktails. We were getting our photos taken. But I did not. I did not win on, on there. Here comes the bride of that. Yes, that is a good idea. So. Queen soundtrack of this amazing I literally I jogged to this soundtrack it is it is the only movie soundtrack that is in my running mix because there are tracks from this uh, this album that just get my blood pumping that I, I will never get tired of I will never get tired of the hero the hero is just such a great way to finish off a fucking movie and um, it's just so fucking good. So now we've got that out of the now way. Now we've wrapped up this episode of the Queen
0: cast, uh, back to Junk Food Cinema well, already the, in progress. I mean,
1: how often do we talk about a movie in which a band comes in and nails it this well? This album is, you could still walk into almost any record store if you could find a record store and buy this album. Like this is an album that everyone keeps in stock because in terms of movie soundtracks, it is one of the best movie soundtracks ever.
0: Oh, it is, without a doubt. Yeah. <clears throat> without a doubt,
1: one of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time. Even the, the scored elements that they, they do are fucking so good. Um, unbelievably good. In fact, if you buy the special edition of this album online, like through iTunes or something, it comes with six live tracks. One of them being the original version of the football song, which wasn't synth, which is really interesting. And then a live version of the hero on stage, which is fucking awesome. So um, so yes. So Queen,
0: awesome. We get it. Moving on. So here we mm. go. I'm just going to start from the beginning. This movie opens like I love the opening of this movie, how we're we're introduced to the villain without being introduced to the villain. Clitus I'm bored. What plaything can you offer? Uh, now, this uh, this voice is Emperor Ming the Merciless, played by Max von Sydow. In I, Max von Sydow as Ming is one of the most inspired pieces of casting. Yeah. I am so thrilled with every with his eating disorder where he can only subsist upon giant chunks of scenery because he is just loving like bathing in the in the sinister quality of this villain and we just watch him uh as he he and his his uh, lackey Clytus are deciding uh what planet to fuck with next and of course it's uh, an obscure planet in the SK system the inhabitants call earth. Earth. I have never heard the word earth said with such disdain earth. like the way Clytus says it must make Al Gore cry, because he just says it like it's a, it's a throwaway thing. Well, and, and that's that's the moment that earns when Clytus finally gets spiked. You're just like, fuck you, fuck man. You. We're from, Earth. Woo, we're from uh. Earth. We're from the planet Earth. Uh, I also love that, here's here's my, like, right off the bat, you know exactly what kind of cheese you're dealing with with this movie, because he's never heard the word Earth before. It is something that was just introduced when they found this planet, and as he goes across his panel of disaster, Earthquake is on the panel. Why would the word earthquake be on the panel if he's never heard the word? Earthquake? No, okay. Moving
1: on. I am. I am under the impression that everything we read on there is actually a translation. <laughs> that so we are we are mongo quake. Well,
0: it's we don't read mongo. <laughs> we don't like read we mong- do. You know, hey, we- maybe you don't. Don't lump me into that. I didn't go to public school. I read mongo fluently. Don't worry about it. I totally went to public school and have no idea if Mongo is a real language. Mongo City, where are you? I thought you were going to say where a kid could be a kid. And I was like, (laughs) I think that's Chuck E. Cheese's. No, no, no. There is
1: actually a seventy or a 90s rock song called Mongo City, which is all about
0: Flash Gordon. It's fucking great. I'm going to track that down. Uh, Then we're immediately introduced to Flash Gordon, New York Jets quarterback, who um, is going to be the hero of this movie, and Dale Arden, uh, the love interest. Now, Sam Jones, who plays Flash Gordon, we 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 touched upon this at the beginning of the show. Not a lot of credits prior to Flash Gordon. Not a lot Not of credits. Not a lot of credits afterwards. <laughs> Not a lot of lines in this movie that aren't ADR'd by somebody else. Would you say that that makes him... Hold on, let me get my David Caruso glasses out. <clears throat> a flash in the pan? I hate you so much right <laughs> now. You like, hate I, me thought, I, I woke up thinking I hated you just the right amount, yep. but no, I did not hate you enough. That is the magic of me. Uh, and so they are in a small Cessna plane that happens to during all of the, the the hot hail, by the way, which I think is the name of a porn movie Sam Jones starred in after Flash Gordon, hot hail, uh, crashes their plane into the laboratory of Dr. Hans Zarkov, played by the amazing Topal, which uh, already, by the way, two of the four James Bond alums in the first five minutes of this movie because there are a total of four James Bond franchise alums in this film. Now, before we move on, this is where, you know... Move on from the first three minutes. Since (laughs) we're talking
1: about, you know, uh, I don't think we need to tell you why Flash Gordon is awesome. We're doing it anyway, but (laughs) while we're there, we're going to make a few stops along the way with some of the oddball things about this movie that are both great and odd. This one, I just find odd. You know who the unsung tragic hero of this
0: movie is? Is it Hans Zarkov's assistant? Munson, Played by William Hootkins. Speaking of the, this was almost Star Wars. Yeah. Porkins himself. Porkins himself. Now, now,
1: tries to stop Hans Zarkov from launching a rocket. He tries to get away and he runs off into a cornfield where Flash Gordon flattens him with an airplane. <laughs> the tragic death of Munson <laughs> is one of those moments that just always makes me raise an eyebrow because you're supposed to just blow past it. Like, fortunately, the movie doesn't forget. There is that moment
0: where hey, he goes, we never sorry, for- Munson. Hey, we never forget <laughs> Porkins. That is, I have a tattoo on my back that says that very thing. The, that is, to the movie's credit, they don't, like most movies, just
1: blow past it and ignore it. But they're just like, sorry, Munson." But yeah, it's like, dude, Flash Gordon just totally killed the good lab assistant like, <laughs> because he
0: can't lay a plate for shit. This is true. This is, by the way, what happens to the pilots? Do they like get Kirk Cameron? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, what do yeah, you no, it? they got blasted out by Ming. Oh, OK, because yeah. I, I thought it was just the rapture and they got taken up. But it no, was no, like, no, oh, shit, we're the leftovers. Yeah, oh. it's yeah, that's it. It was uh, Ming Hooji Wooji Ming Hooji Wooji. Uh, so, Which we will get into because will. there is Ming-Hooji-Wooji in this movie that a lot of people don't realize. Ming-Hooji-Wooji has its own sound effect that is like for a while was the text tone on my phone whenever anyone sent me a text message. <laughs> and then, of course, Zarkov is convinced he is a former NASA scientist who is kicked out because of his oddball theories about an attack from space. But was he kicked out? Because we actually see the scene in the flashback where he's,
1: he's arguing with the guy and he says, I quit. Like Uh, everybody keeps referring to him uh, as NASA got rid of
0: him. But I think I think in truth, Hans Zarkov quit. I mean, I think you can be forced into a position where your only recourse is walking out. And we're 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 splitting his few remaining hairs to uh, to say one way or the other. The point is. The guy, the guy ain't in the union no more. He is he is outside. He's he's a fringe scientist. And he needs a crew to man this rocket ship that he's made to take him to the source of all this interstellar chaos. And he shanghai's Flash Gordon and Dale Arden as his new crew, leading to a quote that is one of those things. I've talked about this before, how when I was growing up, my family, my dad and his parents in particular, would quote movies all the time. And because I hadn't seen them... I thought it was just shit they were saying. Like, I didn't realize it was from movies. And one of those lines was, for God's sake, strap yourselves down. Whenever we would get in a car and I hadn't put my seatbelt on yet, either my grandmother, my aunt, or my dad would say, for God's sake, strap yourselves down. And I was just like, okay, that seems intense, but here we go. And then as I got older and watched Flash Gordon as a kid, I was like, oh, and I've had... 15 moments like that throughout my life where it's like, oh, my family didn't just say this to say it. These are fucking movie quotes. Okay. I get it now. So we are blasted off to the planet Mongo where we discover. Hold on. Wait. The rocket ship.
1: (laughs) This is one of the issues, like in terms of the, the, you know, I get it. And structurally, I get it. But could you come up with something better than just hold down that red pedal? Because First of all, why can't Zarkov hold down the red pedal? Why must there be a second person? Because we haven't been shown that there are two pedals. And and secondly, why would you design it that way that you had to have somebody hold down a pedal so that you didn't die? Like, literally, that is the one thing this rocket's supposed to do is deliver you from one place to another without killing you. And so in order to do that, you have a pedal that requires somebody to hold it down. And if they fuck up, you die. I
0: don't understand the concept, Zarkov. Look, I get what you're saying. But on the flip side, you'll look sweet upon the seat of a rocket ship built for two. This is clearly a romantic gesture, something that he's put together, uh, you know, all of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid for a for a lovely romantic montage. It's it's a tandem rocket ship. It's beautiful, and I love it, I won't hear otherwise. So we get to Mongo, which is a planet that exists inside of an acid trip, clearly, because Beyond the Sea of Fire. Beyond the Sea of Fire, and uh, right in uh, Timothy Leary's backyard because it is a, like the Technicolor wet dream of this movie. Like, I am so glad that they did put it on Blu-ray because if ever there was a movie built for high definition, it was Flash Gordon. You know, that's the thing. That's the thing about this movie. Like, the
1: art design really kind of melted brains in not the best way when it came out. People were like, what the fuck were they thinking when they made this? Um, and, and this is the time, I guess this is the best time to bring this up. This is one of the very first comic book movies and this is what you need to keep in mind like it's very hard to contextualize now because of the the length of time between this but Superman had just come out a few years previously and uh, this was an attempt to go into one of the other comic book universes now. Flash Gordon was invented in 1934. He was popularized in the late 30s. So I want you to think about that in context. We're talking about a superhero that by the time this movie was made was 46 years old. We're talking about Wolverine here, like in terms of, you know, insertion in the in the culture. Oh my god, old man Flash. Let's write that movie. Uh, go. Let's write that movie. Dude. But uh but so we're talking about a hero that has not been around forever, that a lot of the people watching this movie remember when Flash Gordon first hit the scene. The rest of the audience for this movie grew up with Flash Gordon being endemic. Like there are tons of Flash Gordon serials. Um, the comics were in the in the newspaper every week. Like this was something Flash Gordon was very much a part of the fabric of the culture. And so when they sat down to make a Flash Gordon movie, it was supposed to be a big deal. And this is still the era when nobody understood comic book movies. They didn't understand what people wanted. And so what director Mike Hodges did is he decided to make camp and what he made as camp and was very tongue in cheek and like who takes these comic books seriously uh, was the wrong approach in terms of the way uh, comic books should be adapted. But in making a camp movie, he accidentally made something so fun and ridiculously awesome And like you said, a beautiful technicolor fever dream that you can't take your eyes off it. Like there's certain bits of the production design here, like the wings of the Hawkman, which are just fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like nobody, like those are so like, goofy and stupid like it's
0: not even like it's like if you saw that in a play you would think it was ridiculous uh, on stage and i like how when they get shot it takes a moment for them to fall because they have to disconnect from the harness that's clearly holding them up like that's oh, yeah. my favorite part is they have a wily coyote moment where they can hold up a sign like yipe and then they fall down yes uh but then you look at the design of
1: Every costume that Ming wears, who oh by the way, God. every scene he's in, he's wearing a different costume. Such a diva. Pay attention to that next time you watch it. Like such. literally, every you like, oh no, he wears that. No. Every scene he walks in, he's in a completely different costume. Uh, you know, such a diva. You the the design of Mungo City, the the design of the various planets, um, everything in this movie is fucking gorgeous and just Wonderful, like it is. There's nothing else that's ever been made like it. Like you will not find a movie that looks and feels like this in terms of uh, color and design. It's almost, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the the only way to, to to really put it, it's like Fellini fucked a comic book.
0: I am so glad you mentioned that because. Frederico Fellini was actually the first person Deidre just wanted to direct this movie. Of course it was. And that, obvi- and the reason. I'm so glad we don't have Fellini's Flash Gordon. Do you want to know the <laughs> reason he said no? The reason he said no is he didn't think the script was faithful to the character. It wasn't because Fellini was like, why the fuck would I do a Flash Gordon movie? It's your script is not. This is how popular Flash Gordon was. Frederico fucking Fellini was a fan of Flash Gordon to the extent that he read the script and went, this is not authentic to the character. This is not holding up to what I know of Flash Gordon. And it's not, and that's what I love about it, by I the way. I agree. We'll get into Flash in a little bit. Yeah, because I actually went back and watched the first installment from like 36 of the serial starring Buster Crab, and it's... um. It's very it's there's a lot of elements that you do see in this movie and there's a lot of things that are very much changed for good reason. Um also this whole thing about making serials before, you know, in, in movie serials had characters like Flash Gordon, like uh Doc Savage, like Captain Marvel, like Batman. And it it made me kind of start thinking about the modern day analog of that where you have all of these companies that are trying out episodically characters that they're not really sure if there's an audience for yet, because we're talking about, you know, in the thirties, I mean, comic books are like, they're for kids. Well, keep in mind. I mean, the thing about the serials is, TV hadn't been invented yet. Right. And
1: kids needed something to do on a Saturday afternoon, <clears throat> and they could go to the movie theater, pay a nickel, <clears throat> and they would get a whole afternoons of entertainment. They would get one or two movies. They would get a bunch of cartoons. They'd get some newsreels, <clears throat> and they'd get a cereal. Yeah. And the thing about the serial, the whole design of the serial <clears throat> was we can get the kids to come back next week because they got to find out what happens.
0: So it just made me think about what I feel is the modern-day analog of this is like the Netflix... Like not lesser superheroes but less bankable superhero shows where it's like let's try this out episodically and see what happens and what we've found is that people are still really into the idea of episodic superhero stories so it's this weird sort of modern day carryover from the superhero serials of the 30s and revisiting Flash Gordon this time I, I kind of thought about that and it made me smile because it's like oh I, I do have my own version of Saturday serials it's uh it's Luke Cage and it's The Punisher on Netflix where I can go through episodically and watch the cliffhangers and get excited about these characters um so I just really dug that We're still at the beginning of this movie and I love it because there's so much to fucking talk about when we actually talk about Flash Gordon Yeah well you know let's get into Flash for right because uh, we're going <clears> to
1: <throat> we're going to uh bring this up a couple of times Here's what I love about Flash Gordon Flash Gordon is Uh, as a character, is one of my favorite types of heroes. Uh, It is a hero we don't get to see very often in cinema. Uh, And when we do, it's usually very delightful. Flash Gordon is not particularly good at anything. No. He's not smart. He's strong, but he's not unnaturally strong. Um, You know, when he gets into battle with Baron uh, later in the movie, he's not stronger than Baron uh he's he, you know he doesn't have any technical advantage he's not ridiculously brave in terms of the the things that he does he doesn't take the chances that no one else will take what flash gordon's superpower is is his nobility in this, and this is where this diverged, because the Flash Gordon of the comics was accomplished as fuck. Yeah, he was a football player,
0: but he was a '30s football player, well, so no, he was wiry. He, he was a polo player. He was a polo player because right. they, because football wasn't a huge sport at the time. He was wiry, and he was this good-looking,
1: rich guy. You know, he was he was Chad uh, or and Bruce or Bruce, but <laughs> he, he's a Chad. Uh, so this guy, this football player, his nobility is his superpower and if you watch this movie thinking about that every problem he solves he solves through his own nobility it's what uh ming can't wrap his mind around with this guy it's what he doesn't understand is that this guy would die to do the right thing and he's surrounded by a bunch of scheming assholes who would never do such a thing And so, by with his pure nobility, he changes everyone's heart. And that's the thing: is you know, you see, you know, it's why Princess Aura saves him to begin with. She finds this hot. This is this hot, exotic nobility. Um, It's it's how he turns Baron when he saves Baron. It's how he ultimately turns uh, 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 Voltan. You know, everybody ends up siding with Flash. Because he's a good dude, and as a result, Flash surrounds himself by all the talented people that Flash needs to save the day. So Flash saves every one of us by convincing everyone else that he's a good enough dude that they should hang out with him so they can save the day.
0: Flash, oh, he's good at networking. Yeah, and he (laughs) He is. He surrounds (laughs) himself with the right people. He's a fucking football player. Of course he's good at it. Like, he's got to make all the best deals. He's basically his own agent. That's who Flash Gordon is. Also, I just want to point this out. We are so taken by this movie and by this character and by the world of this film that we don't even question if it's cool at all to walk around with a fucking T-shirt with your own first name on it. Oh. By the way, that is, you know what? That was the thing
1: I meant to mention. Um, there's, if you watch closely, it's hard to tell because he's wearing a jacket, but he gets on the plane and he introduces himself to Dale Arden and she goes, he's like, hi, I'm Flash Gordon.' She goes, I know. And they, every time she says that, I just go, it's on, on your, your fucking, fucking shirt. shirt. <laughs> like, yes, I know your name is Flash, asshole. Uh, you're wearing your name on your shirt. And so and they never explain how she knows it. But that's. In, in my
0: head canon, Dale Arden knows because he's wearing the shirt with his name. On. I want I want a shirt with my name on it in that lettering and font. In fact, our friend Derek Marr, who's been on, on the show before, a former guest, um, sent me a tweet where he had actually created my name in the lettering and font of Flash. So I'm going to put that shit on a T-shirt <laughs> because if he can do it, I can do it. And apparently it's cool. Um, so <laughs> where are we? Oh, we just arrived in Mongo. And we are introduced, of course, to Ming the Merciless, who is... Max von Sydow just like fucking going one of the most
1: fabulous men in the history of cinema. (laughs) There is no better word to describe Ming the Merciless than fabulous. He is so fabulous. Like only Ming the Merciless could pull those off. And boy, how does he pull those? What is his number one accessory? It's a fucking pinky ring, for God's sake. Like.
0: No, gotta no, no. know That's ring. his
1: number two accessory. His number one accessory is that bitchin' fucking, like album, like headpiece he's got on oh, the, yeah. the slick black thing he's got
0: over his bald head that looks True fucking story. badass. True story. He he rocks that every fucking time. And you want to talk about a popped collar? Like Ming the Merciless has the popped collar. That thing has a wingspan, dude. That guy, that guy made Liberace weep. You
1: know, he just he fucking <laughs> rocked it in a way that Liberace is just like, oh, I wish I could pull off that look. <laughs> well, He's I mean, awesome. He's fucking badass. I could
0: have been merciless too. Anyone? All <laughs> right, Paul Lynn. I know it's the same person. Can we just can we stop pretending that Paul Lynn was not Liberace? Because, Paul Lynn frankly, was not Liberace. He, no, he definitely was. Templeton the Rat played piano. We all know this. It's it's documented. <laughs> So, we, we meet Ming the Merciless, and we, we understand that he is the dictator of this world, and that all the different races of, of creatures on Mongo are under his thumb, including uh, Baron, played by Timothy Dalton. Fuck hey, yeah. Bond alum number three. And, uh, like the fifth coolest person in this fucking movie. Yeah, that is fucking... That's like something that you could call an accomplishment, that Timothy Dalton is the fifth coolest person in your movie. And then, of course, Prince Voltan. Brian...
1: Fucking blessed. blessed, as every one of
0: my uh, UK friends tells me, a national fucking treasure. The man who could, like an anaconda, unhinge his jaw at any time to deliver the the line that, <laughs> my God, anytime I'm doing anything, if I'm changing lanes in traffic, I don't care what it is, just. Die! 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 How do you make one verb? Who wants to live forever? Which I'm sorry, ironic considering Queen did the soundtrack for Highlander six years later, Fuck and yeah. Brian Blessed says in this movie, "Who wants to live forever?" Which and is then the name Queen's of the like, track. You know what? We should write a whole song about that. <laughs> when we're done writing all of the tracks for this amazing soundtrack, we we're ripped off Brian Blessed. Man. And, we and ripped off Brian Blessed. Speaking of ripping off this movie, I'm pretty sure the spin doctors wrote Two Princes about Prince Baron and Prince Voltan. Probably. I can't substantiate that, but I'm going to say it's true because I'm the one with the microphone. Just so they're bickering. They are, you know, paying tribute to Ming. My favorite line is, is my favorite moment in this scene is when um, Ming base they're fighting each other and then they're each swearing loyalty to Ming. It's begrudging, of course, but uh, Ming says to Voltan, uh, you know, make sure you pledge allegiance to me or you forfeit your daughter. And Brian Blessed's half-hearted, Hail Ming! It's just—it's so spot on. So that character, just like, yeah, I'm I'm in this shit too, but uh, I uh, fuck you. Hail Ming! I've never hail as a fuck you is something I'd never experienced before. So way to go, Brian. Blessed. Also in that scene, we have Munson Part Two. George Harris playing the the King of, uh, or is it Lizard Man? Wait, which who? Yeah, should? yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: uh, no, uh, <clears throat> we have. Um, a group of awesome fucking people from Mungo who um, have a truly noble king who does something fucking bold as shit. The king dies, and as all the people of Mungo rise up to fight, we never hear from
0: them again. No, no, they like, go back They go back to Wakanda, and they're like, they fuck this, we're vanish. out. vanish. Yeah, they Ardentia p- is the name of yeah,
1: that. Yeah, Ardentia... The, the Ardentians are probably amongst the coolest fucking Mungo citizens, and they appear in one scene to carry their dead king out after their king uh, gets frozen really poorly.
0: He gets, he gets He's playing a game of freeze tag, and he's really committed to it. And then Ming just stabs the shit out of him. Yeah, no, I really like that actor, actually, George Harris. He's in Layer Cake, um... He's in. He's actually Kingsley Shacklebolt in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, oh, he, I didn't realize that's he's, him. He's fucking rad. I, I dig that guy a lot. Also, I mean, I'm not going to tell you your business screenwriter, but when you have a character in the movie named Dale Arden, and then the random country or region of Mongo you pick for this this tribe is Ardentia. I'm going to assume that there's some weird timeline shit going on where she's actually the future queen of that country or something. Like, just pick it slightly aren't different. Aren't these name. aren't these straight out of the comics though? Like, they, they might be. They, I they, mean, it, it's it's entirely possible. I'm not that familiar with. I'm more familiar with the the body of work of William Hootkins than I am the catalog is, of Flash true. Gordon. So, I mean, take this all with a grain of salt. So, Flash is uh, immediately beset upon by uh, Ming's guards who um, are, are involved in some kind of parade. I'm not sure. The costuming, it's amazing. But he proceeds to get out of this jam by doing what, Cargill? How does How does Flash Gordon uh, evade these guards? Well, he plays football. This is the one scene in the movie that I wish had been cut, because... Oh, fuck you. Ew. It's so good. Fuck God you damn, Hokie. so hard. It's so no, bad.
1: No, no. Oh, this man. scene is the moment that my insides start bubbling with excitement when this scene kicks in because there are so many moving parts to this scene that just work. Um, because the thing is, is Flash gets knocked on his ass. He's he's staggered. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on, and. Then this great queen synth thing, synth score kicks in and uh Meryl, you need to play right now. Drop that in. Drop it in. There it is. Okay, so that starts playing and Hans Zarkov gets the great idea to grab one of these decorative uh, uh, eggs that is being given to Ming as a tribute and tosses it to him. And he fucking goes and tears it up. And the thing is, is that Ming is amused by this. This is what I love about this. Ming is never worried about what's going on. And he's just like, the fuck is up with this crazy earth person? And he's watching. And then he's watching how inept his own guards are, and that's where you know he starts mocking Clytus because again, Ming is very bored. He's an incredibly bored <laughs> he individual. So at the top of yes, the show. like he gets so bored he has to destroy a fucking planet. Uh, he's just like, ah, I kind of want to fuck with something, and here's this dude who shows up and starts playing some barbaric game from this backwater planet in the middle of the desert of space. Yeah. And he's just like, what the fuck is this? I got to see this. So he just lets it go on. That's the thing about it. And of course, at the same time, you've got, you know, these great little moments where like Brian Blessed is conking out one of the guards and you've got people tripping and they're they're laughing and they're having a good time and they're like, fuck these guys. Um, You've got the, you know, the 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 tiny little what, uh, you know, uh, deep Roy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh uh stabbing one of the guys in the ass with a with his sword. Like and then you have Dale Arden who had nothing to do in the scene and, and so, forgot how clapping works. Like Well this. they were no no no. They're literally this is They had nothing for her to do, and so they needed to fill it up, so they asked her to just improvise that on set. So she just started fucking around without preparation, and that's what she came up with, with Go Flash Go, which all of that works in this delightfully goofy, fun sequence of (laughs) this football player with a head injury playing football
0: with Imperial Guards. Oh my fucking God! I just realized what this entire movie is. This is the ultimate argument for CTE investigations in the NFL because this whole movie is Flash Gordon on the field has taken a shot to the head and has a major concussion. And this is what's going on as the paramedics are rushing to the field to cart him off. Holy shit. That's what this movie is. Oh, I need to watch it again. My mind is blown. That's what we're watching. We're watching a massive head trauma happen, and this is what's playing out in the un in the concussed brain of Flash Gordon, quarterback New York Jets. It makes so much sense.
1: I, I would. I, I, I mean, they do carry him off the field uh, right after this uh, after the head injury here. Oh my
0: god, you guys! You
1: guys, anyway, sorry, I'm going to
0: be thinking about that forever now.
1: Uh, so I am I am heartbroken that you do not love that scene the way that I do, because that scene... It's just,
0: like, I don't know. it just, like, there's so many things that feel, like, embarrassing about... Like, the rest of this movie is campy, sure, but there are things that happen in that scene that I'm just... I'm embarrassed for everyone involved, and I don't feel that way throughout in any other scene in this movie. I, I you know,
1: I, I find it hard to believe that that is the line in the sand of this movie. Like, there's so
0: much odd shit in this movie. Well, I'm a, I'm an avid football fan, so really my problem is that he's not. I mean, his his playing is is subpar. I feel, and, and well, the defense he, that they put up is just. I mean, he's, you know, he's a New York Jet. What the fuck oh, do you that's want? True. Oh! No stop, sick burn, bro, sick burn. Flash is sentenced to die in the gas chamber, which is a little uncomfortably like uh, real life. I wish they'd gone with something a, a little less like an actual earth execution you know like like later in the movie we we see the people uh the in the in the kingdom of uh, arbor uh being subjected to the wood beasts as an initiation like do something fantastical with your execution putting him in a gas chamber just just feels kind of uncomfortable <laughs> but they that's what they do but of course he's saved by the princess who uh who manages to uh in, involve as a confederate a doctor of ming's Army and they they work up some arrangement where basically Flash isn't killed, um, and then we we exit Mongo or we exit Ming's palace and end up in of course the uh the Kingdom of Arbor where Timothy Dalton is doing his best Errol Flynn. Yes,
1: alongside as we talked about earlier this month, here's the connection to earlier uh, to the other films because almost everything this in uh, Cargill member is connected. Richard O'Brien uh, oh, there is. as as one of uh, one of Baron's guys the one who uh uh goes and tricks Flash into breaking out uh so that they can
0: murder him. Oh yes, that's It's a really weird plot. It's a real, just just fucking kill him. Like you've got you got well, to No, I mean into- that's the thing is, you know, um
1: he's Baron this is what I find really interesting. Baron's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, he's a total piece of shit. By and the
0: way, I just realized, this is the second time we've talked about a movie in which Timothy Dalton basically plays Errol Flynn. Yes. I just realized, because we also covered The Rocketeer.
1: Oh, yes, we did.
0: <laughs> so everything is connected. It, it,
1: it really is. So um, he's a total piece of shit, and he's in love with the princess, who is probably... I mean, there's so many pieces of shit in this movie. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's one of the great things about this. Again, um, Flash Gordon's nobility reverses a lot of people, but it also has to do with the fact that everybody already hates Ming. So seeing somebody that's cooler than Ming kind of show up, everybody starts flipping sides. But so he's in love with the princess. And this is all of the manga. Manga is all about scheming. And so it's, you know, it's very Game of Thrones uh, in Technicolor. And. So he can't just kill Flash Gordon. If Flash Gordon dies by his own hand, you know, Flash Gordon defied me. I threw him in the stocks. He, you know, escaped. He entered the, you know, the temple of the uh, 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 of the wood beast of his own volition. You know, our rules. He had to play. He got bit. And then he begged me to kill him. I'm sorry, Princess. Uh but uh but he begged me to kill him, and that's how it happened. And I'm not lying to you. Sorry, and, Timothy Dalton is Littlefinger. And and because everybody's always backstabbing, of course somebody's gonna tell her. So he's gotta do it by the numbers, and so that's exactly what he does.
0: So I just read this. Is this true that um in the opening song to Rocky Horror Picture Show, Richard O'Brien mentions Flash Gordon? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, no, he was I mean the th- th- Rocky Horror Picture Show was a
1: satire, not only about the the sexual revolution, but uh, and and what was going on at the time, but specifically of uh, 50s B-movies and harking back to what those 50s B-movies wanted to be, which was 30s uh, science fiction, the golden age of sci-fi. So, yeah. So, yes, uh, that that's one of the things I've always loved, is that he mentions Flash Gordon in his movie, and then finagles, I'm certain finagles his way, or, you know, Mike Hodges is just like, you know, if I don't give Richard a part, because Mike Hodges probably knew Richard O'Brien from the, the theater and film scene. Sure. Um, because... Even today, the London uh, scene is not big. Everybody knows everybody else. You know, there's a few pubs that everybody goes and hangs out at who's in the industry. So everybody fucking knows everybody. Uh, And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, Richard's never going to forgive me if I don't give him a role. So I'll let him play one of Baron's guards. And then he gets to be in a flash Gordon movie. Uh, And as you know, a hardcore fan, that's the type of thing. I know a bunch of people who are giddy because they got to go play stormtroopers in Ryan Johnson's new star Wars movie. So this is exactly to be expected. Um but yeah so Richard O'Brien is
0: is great in the the few scenes that he's in uh and he's very Richard O'Brien. I just realized that the the biggest connective tissue of this movie is Max von Sydow because Max von Sydow is in the club of James Bond the four people yeah. from the James Bond universe. He's also in a star he's in he's in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um so the the influence George Lucas that connection. He is also on fucking Game of Thrones. Yeah. As the three-eyed raven, so everything we've referenced pretty much Max von Sydow well, yeah, is a well, part of. But that's because Max
1: von Sydow is is one of the greatest actors of all time. Uh, he has made both great camp, um, you know, great genre, and uh, elevated genre. He made one of the greatest horror movies of all time uh, with The Exorcist, uh, and also makes art films. Like he's been across the board. He's been in fucking everything. So that is like he's he is. When it comes to great genre,
0: he is the Kevin Bacon, um, six degrees of Side out, um, <laughs> which, by the way, was going to be the name of this podcast for quite a long time before we settled on junk food cinema. I kind of wish we thought of that, <laughs> like six not, degrees of not Side out. like three and a half
1: years in like we're we're almost we're almost, you know, we're we're almost to four
0: years. We're, my entering man. we're season we're, four. Yeah. Like we're we're deep in it right now. I think by this time you and I either I think have this to, is season four, isn't it? I have no idea. Where where do our seasons start and end? We have no discernible endpoints. But I think by season four, we're supposed to either get married or have a kid. I think that's how sitcoms work. No, no, no. We're supposed to adopt a precocious kid who ruins the show. I just realized I had an actual kid. I was talking about the two of us, but then I realized, like, no, we, we, that, that has happened. Yeah. We, we, are, we are abiding by the laws of sitcoms. So you're welcome, audience. Flash! Ah! Savior of the universe! Star oh. Grove! <laughs> that, is, that is the new Star Grove. Uh, yeah, so we, we enter into what is my favorite scene in this whole movie, which is the duel of the rotating disc. In which Baron um, Baron has been simultaneously tricked by Flash Gordon, who pretends to have been bitten by the the Wood Beast, uh, and then ends up in uh, Prince Voltan's castle, where he is like, "You know the law,
1: Baron." Lo- Outside of his own kingdom, the hunter
0: becomes the hunted. He is so keen on murder, like all of these, all of the Hawkmen, just like. They're bloodthirsty. They're not good people. They're not good dudes. And You're right. It's something that I didn't really... That's why they made him the general of the armies, because nobody's going to fuck with the Hawkmen. That's true. Oh, don't fuck with the Hawkmen. That'd be a good t-shirt. But it it you're absolutely right. It's something that I didn't glom onto because I love this movie so much. I don't want to think about the good guys being assholes, but... Pretty much all the good guys outside of Flash Gordon in this movie are total assholes. Yeah, no, Dale and,
1: and Flash are the only people who aren't assholes at some point in time and come around. Even, uh, 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 even Zarkov is, you know, he's in the first act. He's an antagonist. I mean, it's all for the right reasons, but he's kind of a fucking douchebag. The oh, way he's he does a narcissist it,
0: for th- he's, he's, the
1: very least, he's terrible. You know, he, his his lab assistant gets murdered, and he jokes about it. Like he's not a good dude, but he suffers terribly at the hands of uh, Clydes
0: and Clydes. Yeah, he's num- he's forced to uh, take a mental road trip back to the movie Yentl. Like that's a really weird scene where we go all the way back to his birth, and it's, it's
1: like, really you find it weird that they get Topol and they don't go all
0: fiddler on the roof on I, it. I find it weird that the moment <laughs> like that's, that's no. what weirds you out. No, what I find like weird, like Jewish men in history. No, what I find weird is that the moment of his fucking birth is basically a Jewish menstrual show. Like it is the weirdest fucking like. What is going on? Is there no doctor? What is happening right now? But it does have one of the great
1: campier moments where Clytus is admiring Hitler.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's right.
1: Yeah. Now he showed promise.
0: Yeah. Which, by the way, like, what? Okay. Again, if you just fucking found out about Earth, like... 10 minutes ago how do you know about hitler already
1: like he doesn't he's watching through the memories oh okay he see he's like ah he had promise like that's <laughs> he's literally learning about hitler from zarkov's brain. So Clitus, make America great again. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> you know, I I love that. Again, it's the again. camp of that moment. Like in any other movie, that, you know, the villain admiring Hitler would be a little too on the nose. But Clitus is so delicious. Yeah. Like, can we talk? Let's talk about Clitus for let's a moment. Do. I love the shit out of him because he is the perfect shit heel villain. Like he actually doesn't do Anything Anything. Anything. awful, like, no, 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 he's there for support. Like, he does exactly (laughs) support. Like, when he's, like, reprogramming Zarkov, he says, you know, just take him nothing above level three, because I don't think the human mind could take it. He walks out, and uh, General Kala is just like, um uh level six, the general. You heard me. And cause she's a fucking sadistic hobie. She's yeah. evil. But yeah. even you know, Clytus is he's just he's delicious in the way um he delivers every single fucking line. He's and, bitchy. And he my, is awesomely bitchy. And my favorite movie. moment with him is when he's torturing uh Princess Aura. And no, not the ballworms. <laughs> um, and Ming goes and is like, you know, uh, a uh, a year in the ice caverns will chill. Uh, will chill her. Uh, her blood will cool her blood. Um, and then maybe we'll marry her off to someone worth her tra- uh, worthy of her treachery. And the fact like that, Clyde is. Oh, thank you. Like, he knows exactly (laughs) what he's talking about. He's like, you're the most treacherous, backstabbing motherfucker in the world, and only you deserve my hot daughter. Like, that moment (laughs) is just so great. And it's what happens when you give great actors, like, delicious moments like that to deal with, and they just relish them. And Clytus is one of those guys that, because he's behind that gold mask the entire movie, You don't, all the performance is in the lilt of his speech, and he nails it. I agree. Like, and the thing is, he never does anything despicable, he never really backstabs anybody. He's never truly awful. He just does his job, and because of that performance, we loathe him. Yeah. And so when he gets tossed onto the spikes Dude. and his eyes pop out from his skull and his tongue, you know, sticks out Dude, of that gold Hershel mask, Herschel Gordon Lewis moment of the movie. It originally. is. You're
0: so happy because fuck (laughs) that guy. Like, and the thing is, is if you go back through it, Clytus didn't do shit. Let's let's think about that for a second. Ming gets to basically harikiri his way peacefully out of this movie and just vanish into the cornfield. Well, I mean, after he gets fucking stabbed by a plane at his wedding. Eh, But (laughs) Clytus gets stabbed. get bitch. Got stabbed by a plane. It's, which makes <laughs> it, bitch got stabbed by a plane, which makes it the second plane-related death in this movie. It really <laughs> this is. This movie is bookended by plane deaths
1: by guys whose name begin with M. <gasps>
0: Hoot conspiracy. conspiracy. Hootkins conspiracy. You know what? Where <laughs> you know who's looking into that? Top men. There it is. Top men. By the way, I think the only movie in which William Hootkins doesn't get killed is the one where he ends the movie by being a complete corporate shill who locks away the Ark of the Covenant. Not a, not a great track record for William Hookins as it turns out. I'm very sad. But getting back to the duel on the Star spinning disc. Flash. Ah! ah! Getting back to the duel on the spinning disc. I just I love that they throw them both on there and then Brian blessed is like, bring me the remote control. And then just starts like now there's spikes and now it's tilting. And now it's just like trying to kill both of them. Cause this disc yeah. is hovering over the he infinite abyss. Both. And he's just like, and all the Hawkmen are literally chanting, die, die. It's just like, what the fuck is going on right now? And you're right. The inscrutable honor of, of flash Gordon will not let him let Baron fall to his death. And that of course, um, it really uh, inspires and and uh, and and touches the heart of of Voltan. Zolt, Zolt, Voltan? Not no no. It doesn't really Zoltan. touch his heart
1: then, because um, it's the thing is is that Voltan takes off, and it's only upon reflection when Flash Gordon sticks around and Flash Gordon gets sentenced
0: to death that Voltan's like, that dude was pretty good. That's right, because he initially is pissed off because uh, Ming's army, which by the way is called the Imperial. Fleet. So it, this movie is not. If you don't think this movie ended up being inspired by Star Wars, which is ironic considering it was supposed to be Lucas's big sci-fi epic that never happened, it's hilarious how much this movie is totally inspired by Star Wars. They literally and call the, the bad this, guys. And the How Imperial much Star Fleet. Wars is
1: yeah. keeping that material? It's so like, weird. It's,
0: like it's the- an incestuous relationship between these two movies. Like yeah. speaking of Game of Thrones, um, and so. Uh, Ming's army shows up, and they're like, we're arresting Prince Baron on on suspicion of treason. And then, of course... uh, Which is true. Which is true. And then Flash kills Baron by throwing... He doesn't just fall on a spike. Not Baron. I'm sorry. He he kills Clytus. He doesn't just fall on a spike. That spike goes through his head, and we see him... Several spikes. Pick his head off of the spike slowly, and then get spiked again, and his eyeballs and tongue come out. It's like... It is the most graphic, horrific death in the entire movie. And it's great. It's great. And then, of course, uh, Boltain is is pissed off about this because he's like, you brought doom upon my kingdom. So they flee. Uh, but then they find out that Flash Gordon, who was then uh, suspected of being dead because the entire uh, Hawkman kingdom blew up, is not dead. And he's, he's coming back and rallying people to fight Ming. And I believe the line Brian Blessed said is, thank you for showing this this silly old bird, the error of his ways. Yeah. And, and that's when they flying
1: blind on a
0: flying blind on a rocket.
1: Okay. Cycle. So while we're here, there's, I'm going to backtrack for two different things. One, uh, another, you know, other oddities of this movie. Um, why is there only one female Hawk person? And why is she wearing pink? <laughs> like literally the only female Hawk person in the movie is, uh, uh, Voltan's daughter. Oh, yeah. There's no women hawk people. Like, there's, Look,
0: they are the hawk
1: men because they're only men, but for some reason he gave birth to a mutant somehow. area is not very diverse. I assume that's where the hawk men come it's from. It's really not. Like, if, if you notice, in, there fact, girl, so. in fact, if you notice just how misogynist this movie is, none of the planets have women on them except for Mungo City. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, literally, there's... Dude. You want to talk about influence by Star Wars? There's like two women in this whole movie.
1: It's, yeah, <laughs> there so, you go. There like, it is. And, and it not is to no min-
0: none of these planets have women. No wonder everybody's banging Princess Aura. She's the only woman in manga, or doing things to get themselves killed and in unnecessary initiations or rites. But like you now, it totally makes sense. By the way, Gilbert Taylor shot this movie also shot new hope. So like this just this relationship between these two movies is crazy. Yeah. Also another little
1: moment that I will throw out there. Just one of the oddball things that it's like, there's a, this movie references an entire galaxy dedicated to pleasure. Yeah, why don't we go there's a whole galaxy of pleasure in this universe like just it's like, yeah, we got a galaxy. Well, what do we do with it? Well, it's not doesn't play by the rules of any other galaxy. It's just about pleasure. If they ever made a movie, but many, many brave men died bringing something back from the
0: galaxy of pleasure. So how pleasurable is the galaxy of pleasure? I think you'd have to ask Jim Wynorski, who would undoubtedly direct the movie Planet of Pleasure. (laughs) Moving on, I want to talk about Dale Arden for just a second and kind of in this vein is she just a damsel? I think in that's... this movie? Uh yes. But here's here because I agree in some scenes, but the maddeningly inconsistent thing about her is in some scenes she's just cheering from the sidelines. Literally. Yes. And in other scenes, she's using her wits to escape from her cell. She's doing gymnastics to shoot guards in the face. Well, in the comic, Dale Arden was a major character. Sure. You know, that's
1: very much where Princess Leia came from. Princess Leia was inspired more by the Dale Arden of the comics than than Dale Arden in the movie was.
0: Well, but the thing is... Which is she? Because she, at times in this movie, occupies both spaces. She's never,
1: while she is always trying to escape, she is always trying to get herself out of trouble. And she
0: never actively um, is moving the story along. And then there's the other weird thing about her and Flash's relationship, which starts on a plane where they don't really like each other. And then I disagree. They're already, they're already flirting on that plane.
1: Yes, but she gets literally- annoyed. She gets annoyed cause she's like has problems with flying, but like she already knows who he is because of his t-shirt, because of his t-shirt.
0: Uh- <laughs> not because she likes him, Cargill, It's written on the fucking t-shirt when
1: when he's when he she's flattered when find, he finds she finds out that he asked about her, uh, asked the matri d, and she grabs his hand when she gets nervous. No, they're already deep
0: in, which it. leads to two scenes later, they're like, we'll have something to tell our kids. I just got engaged. I'm like, you guys, Guys, That's an hour later, guys. Come on, it's an hour. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. It's I didn't an hour later. The love that was clearly blooming in a reasonable amount of time. One of them
1: had already been possessed by magic, and the other <laughs> one had already been murdered. So, um, is you this know a good what? time
0: to talk about the the hoojoo of of uh, Let's of talk
1: about a bit, uh, Ming's much big hooji wooji. <laughs> one of the things that I feel gets um, frosted over in this is the fact that Ming is not the most powerful force in this movie. The great god Dizan is. Is that the robot that floats around? No, okay. no. Dizan, like Dizan is the god that grants Ming his power and that Ming serves. And he mentions him only once when he gives the explanation of, to zarkov as to why he was attacking earth because the thing is is earth this is one of the it's a classic sci-fi trope where you have a you know you have an empire that goes around and every thousand years checks on the inhabitants of planets that are developing life and and if they um if they're developing to the point that they recognize as he says the hand of ming if they recognize that there's uh, an outside force doing these things that it's not the gods or or the earth it's, the planet itself, then um then he kills them because they're dangerous because they could rise up against him because the population of Mongo doesn't appear to be that big and their weapons are cool but they don't seem to have any atomic weapons I don't know um but uh but you know so Earth could and one Earth man upends an entire fucking empire. So what will 7 billion of us do? So that's why he's going to destroy us, but he does it in honor of Dizan and Dizan is gratified and grants Ming his power. So it's one of those weird little things that's inserted in this movie that just adds to the depth that I feel is interesting that like Ming serves an evil fucking God and that evil God actually grants him real power that he uses to control things. But then
0: dies really doesn't come to his aid at all. (laughs) I would like to throw out there that what you're describing is also the relationship between Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. So clearly, again, we have a crossover. Between Star Wars and Flash Gordon, because you're right, Ming the Merciless looks like the baddest guy in the galaxy, but it turns out he's someone else's pet. Yeah, so, he, the, so there are makes there,
1: sense. so there are gods in Flash Gordon. Ooh. Uh, that is just a weird, weird thing that just never
0: gets brought up. Interesting. There are they they have their own. I I was assuming they have several different religions. I would assume so too, and I would assume that that
1: if Daisan is an actual god, which he must be because Ming has magical powers that's not sci-fi powers, um, uh, that that there must be other gods. Yeah, and-, and so maybe there actually is a god that they're worshiping
0: on uh, Arbor. Um, is it it? Arboria. Okay, sorry. I was like, yeah. what is the name of that actual fucking region? Which is just Dagoba is where they fucking live because they live in a, in a swamp. Both movies came out the same year. Both movies came out the same year, which is also interesting because the little technician guys in Ming's palace that have the, the televisions over their eyes and are bald look oh, yeah. almost exactly like uh, Lando Calrissian's yeah. helper guy that has them on his ears. But they came out at the same fucking time. Well, yeah, because everybody was at all the all the
1: designers were inspired by the same science fiction. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, this is this this stuff moves in movements and it's all people going, hey, this is cool, let's do this. Hey, this is cool, let's do this. And then you get parallel thinking. Uh and this movie has a bit bits of parallel thinking. But also it suffers, you know, one of the problems this movie suffers from is the the uh a problem that Star Wars suffers from, that Warhammer 40K suffers from, you know, most large sci fi things suffer from which is um, we have a universe full of planets but each planet only has one type of terrain like you have an ice planet or a desert planet or an ocean planet or a tree planet like uh, if you had a tree planet
0: you would have poles and it would be cold and you could have ice up north at least in this movie they're not all their own planets. It's like these are regions of their moons. Yeah, yeah. So that is a little better, but you're right. In Star Wars, it's like... But it's a forest moon of Endor slash Arborea. Yeah, like what the fuck? Like, how does the entire planet have one climate? Guys, exactly. you are not doing your due diligence on this. You. <laughs> that is why you think earthquakes are appropriate to put on a panel for a man who has just learned that Earth exists. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and then this, of course, leads to... The awesome battle at the end of the film in yes. which, uh, first of all, we have to take down the deflector shields, Yes, which is so fucking Star Wars. Uh, and And it's just, you know, impetuous boy flying blind on a... Br-. Like everything that gets said during this battle, there's a reason it makes its way into songs on the soundtrack because it's all just ridiculous and awesome dialogue that everyone delivers as if they're Lawrence goddamn Olivier. Oh, yeah. And I love that about this movie is everybody is so sincerely going for it. It is camp, but it is camp because, and I can't remember, you you may have to remind me who it was that came up with this definition of camp, is that camp is basically when it's silly to look back on it, but at the time when the people creating it were creating it, they they weren't really joking. Like it's camp is something that is assigned later. It's not a, a mood that is affected during the course of production, and that's exactly what's going on here. Is everybody in the, all the actors in this movie are fucking going for it and delivering and really trying to get at the essence of what they're playing, as silly as it is, and that's why the final battle of this movie it feels like it feels like a, a world war two epic on an acid trip. Like it's, it's so everyone is so on board for it. And then the best
1: character moment in the movie is when Voltan, uh, goes to pull flash Gordon off and he's going to fly him off the, the thing and flash Gordon won't go. And they just have that final moment and where they interrupt each other. And it's just so great. Cause it's like, you know what they're going to like, they don't need to say it. Like yeah. it's so it's such a good movie. It's it's such a good scene, and I just I absolutely adore that scene and the way Voltan just
0: goes and he's like, "Fuck that that dude's a mensch, dude." When 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 Flash Gordon tells him, "I'm not going," and Brian Blessed goes, "What?" and you could just as, as his mouth opens wider, you can see the chunks of scenery falling out of oh, his yeah. maw. like it is so getting great. stuck in his beard. He's- the he's word, got so much cedar, he's He's saying the word what, and he's delivering it in a way that, like, I, I, I absolutely love how every single line is given so much weight. What? I'm going to milk this fucking word for three pages. It is one word that is going to carry over three pages because I am Brian goddamn blessed, and it's awesome. And and that, of course, we get all of the queen music. We get all of the amazing art design and it's just it's watching an album cover fight itself and it's fucking rad. Yeah. I mean, and it holds up to this day as being rad. Yeah. And the thing is,
1: and one of the things I need to say about the production design is it is very much reminiscent of thirties filmmaking. Like if there's a movie this I feel like the production was trying to go for in this, it's Wizard of Oz. Mm, this yeah. movie is essentially um a hyper masculine Wizard of Oz. Oh my
0: gosh, Flash Gordon is Dorothy. Yes, I
1: love that. Yeah. yeah. And that Dorothy shows up and pulls together all these people and they go and take down the witch that's been making their lives shitty. Like that's what this it's Wizard of Oz. And it's designed as Wizard of Oz as well. Like you, you the, the take a look at the flying monkeys and compare them to the Hawkmen, And it makes a whole lot more sense. Mike Hodges was making Wizard of Oz and he was making his Wizard of Oz. And I think that's why this works, because it is so simple. It is so goopy. The themes are so universal um i mean it is like wizard of oz portal fiction uh if you're not familiar with portal fiction it's any you know story in which somebody is taken from earth and hurled through a portal of some kind and ends up in another world where they're the hero uh one of the most you know the you know uh that's what uh frank l Baum was doing with the uh, the wizard of oz series it's it's very much uh what uh um, John Carter of Mars was John Carter, of course, the principal inspiration, it's what they ripped off to make Flash Gordon, because they were again, John Carter of Mars is from the teens, uh, the 19 teens, and then, you know, 20 years later, people were nostalgic for it and made a comic series that was essentially the same fucking thing as John Carter of Mars uh, and That, you know, this is the principal foundation of what our science fiction is built on, because so much of what we get now from our love of Star Wars comes from Flash Gordon, which comes from John Carter and Mars. In fact, not only did uh, uh, Lucas rip off Flash Gordon, he ripped off go sit down and read one afternoon. You owe it to yourself. Sit down and read Princess of Mars. There are nine, I believe there are nine uh, John Carter and Mars books. Princess of Mars is the first one. It's fucking great. Um, it's what they kind of adapted the movie for. But sit down and read that, and you'll notice there's entire sections that were taken for Star Wars. And that is, you know, uh, so, you know, th- this is where this comes from. And, but this is, this is what this movie is, is this movie is, um, a Technicolor Wizard of Oz, you know? I I
0: love that they basically put different colored dyes into different fish tanks and then lit them from behind. Yeah. And that's the sky around Ming's palace. Yeah, no. it's Fucking love that.
1: It's what they used to do in the 60s and 70s for science fiction. And there was a whole art form to it. And it's magical. And in fact, they brought it back. It's exactly what uh, what Aronofsky used for The Fountain uh all of those things he used the same technique he was going back to
0: that technique it's also how they made t-shirts for woodstock so i think the acid trip is the most adequate way to describe what's going on here even further and then of course you know the the epic battle uh, it ends up in ming being stabbed by a plane by a rocket ship as we mentioned before because <laughs> giant aircraft can be used with precision as striking weapons in this film is what i've learned uh, where you can take out one person with an entire aircraft, um, which is great. And then Ming uses his his uh, his ring to uh, disappear into the ether. We get the freeze frame. That's not really a freeze frame because there's like four scenes after it. Uh, and then Baron is the rightful heir of Mongo. He's made the new uh, emperor, and uh, Voltan is chosen as the leader of the armies, and... Everybody embraces the big happy ending. And fuck Ardentia. And fuck Ardentia. Sorry, guys. This is
1: the whitest kingdom in the universe. We, we,
0: you know what? We don't... As, as the... It's almost like they're saying, as uh, entirely white... Uh, world Pardon now. Pardon me, I'm
1: just opening ding-dongs you brought.
0: Yeah, uh, as, as the entirely uh, white administration now we're not going to argue with what Ming did to your kingdom because racism, uh, and <laughs> we're just going to move on with things, and I love that every actor in this movie was signed to like a three-picture deal because they were so convinced that this was going to be a franchise and it wasn't. It it did not do well, and unfortunately it's only been in years after it's release that the true majesty of a movie like this has been appreciated, but it is fucking majestic flash Gordon. And I love that it holds up every bit as well today. Like you, you can introduce new fans to this and they're still going to get on board with it for one reason or another. It's it's
1: themes are universal and it, it's hard to hate on a movie in which the character is their, their superpower is nobility. Like that's just the thing. It's, there's a movie that came out a few years ago that you saw. I think we watched it together at Fantastic Fest, Golden Slumber. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, by Nakamura. Um, uh, Nakamura, by the way, is a, a director we will end up talking about quite uh, quite a bit on uh, The Deep Dish because finding his films are not easy, but he had a run of three perfect films in there, of which Golden Slumber is one of them um, that we're going to end up talking about. But uh, uh, Golden Slumber is a movie the guy's kind of adult he's not you know he gets caught up in this international espionage story but he's adult but he's not he's not an idiot he's just some regular old dude but he's a good dude and everybody can tell he's a good dude so everybody helps him and that's what this is like it's hard to hate on a superhero whose super ability is um, I'm gonna be the best dude in the universe,
0: and you're gonna change. I'm gonna change your heart, and that's what he does. Flash he- Gordon is a Jack Burton. He is a lovable, noble dolt who isn't particularly good at anything, but somehow, and and what's crazy about that, and the more I think about it, you know, we we put forward this this idea just kind of as a joke of old man Flash kurt russell as old man flash gordon which would be perfect because he was offered the role initially was he he was so old man flash kurt russell kind of and then playing up that whole jack burton thing and especially after seeing him play like uh, a weirder kind of space cowboy character in guardians 2 i'm like i am so goddamn on board for old man flash starring kurt russell Where do I sign? How do we get this made? Old man Gordon, (laughs) that old man Gordon. He just keeps failing upwards.
1: Oh, well, who wants to live forever?
0: (laughs) And that, of course, brings us to the junk food pairing. Um, Which I believe the last time we did a Flash Gordon episode, you really hit upon the idea, and I thought this was great, of the corn dog as the ultimate Flash Gordon pairing being phallic like the rocket ships. And, you know, like there's just a lot that's very American and cheesy about that, much like Flash Gordon himself. I'm actually going to throw into that mix for this episode, the junk food pairing being an actual Lollapalooza, which is one of those enormous Technicolor crazy ass lollipops that that are so big and indulgent that no human being should actually fucking eat one. Like it's just it's ridiculous how big and crazy and and over the top those things are. But that's kind of the same way that Flash Gordon is a thing that shouldn't exist, but I'm so happy it does. And it's got the same swirling whirling palette of just insane colors going on and makes me Makes me so happy to know that it exists in this world. So I'm gonna go with a Lollapalooza for this for this for this version of a Flash Gordon episode of Junk Food Cinema. And speaking of this episode of Junk Food Cinema, it's over. We've officially talked about Flash Gordon. We can stop him. <laughs> No, 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 Meryl's like, if you're going to ask me to drop it in, stop fucking singing it too. But I'm sorry, Meryl. We've just made this difficult on you. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for our excursion to the planet Mongo. And uh, if you would like to hear more excursions to faraway fantastical places, you can always find our back catalog on iTunes as well as the Blog Talk radio uh, catalog. And by the way, I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but we really need to mention this um, because next week... We are hosting a screening, Austin Junkions, we are hosting a screening in Alamo Draft House South Lamar on December the 5th, which is Tuesday at 7pm of Sudden Death, which will kick off hashtag JCVDecember. I am so fucking excited uh, that we get to host that screening, that we get to talk about that movie. Uh, it is crazy, and it is brutal for all the wrong reasons, and, and I'm just, I'm really excited to talk about it, so... Uh, and I've actually been contacted by a couple of our out-of-town junkie aunts who are coming in town for that screening. Nice. So I'm super excited about that. So if you're anywhere in or around Austin and want to come to that screening, tickets are still available. Just go to Drafthouse.com. We've uh, got links all over our Twitter and Facebook for that event. So get your tickets right fucking now. And
1: uh, if you can't make it, check out our Patreon yes. uh, in which uh, two Two gifts for you this week. One, if you come in at the $1 an episode, uh, we're going to have this generation's Flash Gordon. We're doing... We're doing a, uh, a, a, An mode. a junk food a la mode for a the a, a Flash gordon movie that just came out. Uh, and I think you know what it is. Uh, and then, of course, if you come in at the $5 level, we've got a whole brand new episode for you where we're going to be talking about a movie that most of you have never heard of. And you really fucking should. So,
0: please... Check that out, and, uh, and I Give, guess- Giving you so much bonus content, it's basically auditory diabetes that we're going to subject you to, so be on the lookout for that. Cargill, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at MassWyrm, M-A-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M. M-A-S-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M awesome and you can find me on twitter at Bry Guy salisbury and you can also uh find me on facebook facebook.com slash brian salisbury critic and just want to hit again patreon.com slash junk food cinema if you would like to way to uh financially support our show directly we really appreciate that so i'm gonna send us off to the glorious refrains of queen's soundtrack for this movie and just remind you um, for god's sakes strap yourselves down